0: Welcome to Make Mixtapes. My name is Tom Watley, and in today's episode, we're talking all things product design and delivering value to customers. Make a Mixtapes is a podcast about the entrepreneurs, creators, and marketers building impressive things in their field. From content marketing to YouTube, SaaS in today's case, and e-commerce, it's my job to dissect their success. Today, I'm joined by Andrew Wallace, Managing Director and Chief Product Officer at Smileback. Andrew shares his journey from journalism to product and how even the most seemingly unrelated skills can, in my words not his, make you an unstoppable force in your field. We also cover how to perfect your product by optimizing value instead of code, the product by objectives canvas, and why replicating competitive features can quickly attract new customers. Enjoy. Cool. Andrew, thank you very much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you. It's a
1: pleasure to be here. Thank
0: you. So just jumping right into it, you're currently leading product at Smileback and have recently climbed into a broader leadership role, but... You haven't always been in product. Could you tell me a little bit about your career journey and kind of how you got to where you are today?
1: Yeah, so I I literally fell ass backwards into it. Um, It was not intentional Um, and I'm really glad I I fell into it Um, and maybe that's why I like it so much. But I was a, so I'm 38 now and when i was i guess i finished my master's in journalism when i was maybe 24 or 25 and i went into the workforce Um, by chance i was working at a small non-profit called athletes for africa because another former journalist had started this charity um, and i was just interested in the work so i started working for them and we were very small and this was like just when social media uh was a thing like people you know were like doing things on twitter and facebook and and it wasn't as if all brands and businesses were on it yet and plus we needed uh to have a web presence so i ended up building their website just taught myself um taught myself a lot of the social media stuff so that kind of gave me an early um introduction to the world of of the web and web marketing and product and everything in code and uh and so i was working for them and then i went uh when the we folded the charity because um the cause that we were fighting actually no longer was an issue anymore which is uh, sad for us because the charity went under but good for the world because um the lord's resistance army in in the congo i think that's what it's called the lra no longer existed but anyway it's, it's making a short story long So then I went back into journalism, and because I had some of that experience, I was heading up um, online content for a major magazine publication in Canada, and again, this was kind of early days content on the internet. At that time, it was still a debate within the industry around whether uh, people would want content digitally. Obviously, we know. who won that debate uh today uh but back then it was it was a very different point of view in a very different world and so this these are just kind of all the building blocks of how i became interested and became doing product was just that the more the business of journalism the business of the magazine went online the more of a role i had both in the content and then working to oversee the business so the sales and advertising side, the content side, the design side, um, and the technology side. And, uh, it was just by chance that all those things came to me because there was no set structure uh, for, for doing these things and for how this was going to work. And so when we hired a VP of digital whose job was to oversee this stuff, he went, Oh, you're the product manager. And I didn't even know what that was, uh, but that's when I realized what a product manager did. That I liked it a lot, and that I, I slowly started to move more into pure
0: product roles from content. Nice. So it was almost bestowed upon you by somebody. Hey.
1: It, I, yeah, literally. Actually, he literally was like, "You're a product manager," and I said,
0: "No, I'm not." And then he said, "Yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are. Whether you like it yeah. or not." <laughs> awesome, man. So. From there you kind of moved into product at brands like public ink and chef's plate right how how has that kind of you know helped to shape the way that you approach product, like product design and also from a digital strategy perspective as well you know leading up to what you do now at smileback yeah so
1: i went from media company like doing product at media to yeah companies like public Simbility, intersect and nathan all three of those were consultancies and so i think that that really did play um, a really strong role in, in my own thinking and evolution because uh, at the agency, we had to have a very defined process for how we built technology, how we designed technology. Um, because obviously, you know, we were paid for time and materials, and so and our, we were paid a lot, and so we had to deliver high quality very quickly. And the only way to do that is with a really solid process. So I quickly learned the importance of having a very lean, but very um, effective process like software development and agile um, software development process. Um, So that was one piece. And then also the importance of having a team where design, analytics, product, the business, technology, all could work very closely and very effectively and very collaboratively together. Um, And I think so those were the pieces that really um, molded my thinking on how to do this in leaving my own product shop. And also, I got to experience a lot of different businesses, um, and as in a consultant role, uh, which of course you would know, and so that gave me a broad perspective, I think, on the problems and the different ways that they can be solved. And so, when I went Uh, when I took that knowledge to be a full-time product person just on the product side in-house. So that was at Chef's Plate, which was a startup. And then now at Smileback, I kind of brought all of that goodness and then reoriented it toward the delivery of one product for one company.
0: Awesome. So like you mentioned, you're, you're kind of leading up products at Smileback now, before we get into the weeds a little bit, could you tell us a little bit about what Smileback does and the problem that you guys solve or problems?
1: Yeah, so we're pretty specific. It's it's actually strange. I would say our, our company, our product and our industry. So we serve a very specific market called managed service providers or technology service providers. These are what I guess you could describe as outsourced IT companies and not in the design development sense, but in the information technology sense. And so say I am a big finance company in London and I have a lot of complex technical needs for my infrastructure and my hardware and my networking at my company, I would hire an MSP to do all of this IT. Um, And so they would set up the networks, they would manage all the hardware, all the security protocols, everything. And so these are highly specialized, highly technical people. Where we sit is we sit in between the client who hired the MSP and the MSP, providing the customer feedback tools, both like how they get customer feedback, how they analyze and report on feedback, and how they leverage that feedback to take action. And so we're, I, I guess you could call it a customer feedback system. And why we're very important in this space is because there needs to be some kind of connective tissue, some method of communication and some method... Bit of feedback between these giant companies and these msps who are doing their technology because technology can be so kind of mysterious um, you need to know how people feel about the service you're providing and if the technology is working and you need a way of closing the loop closing the feedback loop on these tasks service tickets whatever these msps
0: are doing a very specific but a very important Problem for for these large companies, and could you just define what MSP means again for a second?
1: Oh yeah, sorry. So managed service provider or TSP, technology service provider. Um, I don't really. I guess that what they mean by managed service providers, they're managing a technology service. So it's technology as a service, as opposed to say software as a service.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And you know, you've done. Some brilliant work over the last 18 months by the sounds of it. I know your design process, product design processes specifically have evolved over the course of your career. But what were your priorities for Smileback as a business when you first stepped into the door?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question, an important one. So the reason that I was hired here to come on was that um, Smileback is a bootstrapped uh, startup, I guess you could call it. I call cause more small business on the internet. I think startup gives us too much sexiness to what we do. We're not sexy. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. And so, and so the founders had bootstrapped it, and they had identified the problem, and they come up with a solution for it. Um, but over the course of the company's history, that solution hadn't evolved very much um and they had the self-awareness to recognize that that was holding the company's growth back significantly and so my mandate uh, and the first thing i needed to do was sort of recharge re-energize the product development process to be less focused on perfecting code let's say and more focused on delivering value to customers um and this is a problem i think you see at many companies at a certain level of maturation is they just stop being able for whatever reason to deliver value to customers. And that's what the the technology should be doing, right? They should be building technology for technology's sake. Um, So that was the main problem I needed to solve was how how do we get this, how do we start, how do our customers start seeing us as delivering new value to them, ongoing value to them, and that there's momentum and that it's constant. And so as we talked about process earlier, the, the first step was really to have a process that we could start just an engine that would turn out features. Um, and that if I had that engine, I could point it at anything. And so, so I built the team, uh, I built the process, and then we started to, to deliver um, value to our customers. and It's only been accelerating since, uh, but obviously it took, took some time to really put that, that, that machine together.
0: Yeah. And what does that process for kind of feature development, but prioritization look like for you, especially, you know, in the early days, like you said, you had the technology, but not necessarily the value. How did you go about prioritizing what the real value to customers was?
1: Yeah. So we one of the things I really like about our market and our company is that the market is very and our customers are very clear and very vocal. Um, about what they need Um, and so we actually had a tremendous amount of data just through our customer support team around what our customer wanted from the product Um, because they would you know when we were solving a problem they'd also say hey you know feature X if you could build feature X I could use it this way and it would really help my business in this way they're basically writing user stories for us uh, which is incredible so I was mining that data the team here already had a good sense um, of what, what the, key, the key next feature was that they needed to build to really um, deliver value to the customers through either mining the data that we already had, through interviewing customers, or through seeing through our sales process where we were losing deals, right? We'd have these market-qualified, sales-qualified leads who would go through you know, our sales process through a trial and then be like, but I really need this. And at the time, what that this was, was uh, adding an NPS survey and that promoter score capabilities to our existing CSAT surveys um, so that they could have a 360 view on feedback. And so just a quick thing. So CSAT measures, in, it's a standardized way of measuring an interaction. Um, and NPS is a way of measuring brand loyalty or a relationship to a product or service. Um, and, you know, my business partner, uh, Hugh Matt Ryan would like to say CSAT is the date Uh, NPS is the relationship, and you can have a lot of good dates, but a bad relationship. And you can have a really good relationship, but all the dates can be bad. Um, And so if you don't have a a sense of what's happening with both, a way to measure and quantify both, um, then you could be at risk in your business of not actually understanding the health of your customer relationships. Um, So we identified that as, as the key thing that we needed to prioritize. So that was step one. And then step two is creating, um, which is something that I always like to do is a product strategy, a very clear product strategy, and try to make uh, what I call is a product by objectives canvas, which is basically a uh, product strategy on one slide um, that articulates the key value propositions and then features that support those value propositions and then the outcomes or the outputs, like the business objectives you would expect to achieve if you deliver those features in an effective way against those value propositions.
0: Awesome, so it's a very deliberate process, not just through looking at the technology that's available, but actually what, your customer needs and what they ask for and i'm guessing you know there were enough people saying that they wanted a certain thing for you to be able to go okay that's exactly what we need to do how have you seen you know not just the growth of the company but also the results and the success of your own customers
1: yes we've definitely seen success we've you know launched a whole bunch of features that most of which yeah exactly as you said we were able to through different insights or data point from the customers but also then through some of our own sort of empathic design thinking about if if this is the correct value proposition what are the kind of things that we could deliver to um you know to I don't know what the right word is but to express that value proposition to materialize that value proposition to deliver value um and so yeah we've seen you know the business has continued to grow albeit incrementally during um the, the pandemic which I think is good uh we've seen our churn numbers decrease dramatically um at first you know they were quite high and now the last six months they've dropped down to about one uh, under 1.25% which is very good like best in class i would say and, and we've seen some growth and what we've seen is we track feature adoption. So we've increased the, you know, as we've released new features or um, with existing features, we track how what percentage of the customer base is using them. You know, and we've seen that go up across most of the most of the new features and quite quickly and significantly. What was interesting, though, um, what we didn't anticipate is say with that feature I was talking about Net Promoter Score is that there's a bit of a radio call-in phenomenon there where. We had a lot of people who were really vocal about it and really needed it. And we assumed that that meant the entire customer base needed it. But I've actually been surprised and it's forced me to sort of check through my own assumptions. We, that's the one thing which we thought was going to be the number one thing to deliver um, that the customer base would want the most. That has actually been the feature that's been adopted the least of all the new things that we've released over the last year.
0: That's fascinating. And in that case, on the, on the flip side, what has been the feature that's been most adopted, and why why is that the case?
1: Yeah. So, and here I can only theorize, but what we released the feature that allows our customers to better market their business. So basically, when Um, their end users fill out the survey. So they they score it, then they leave a comment. We make it so that they can just tick a box and we'll copy their comment, take them to that business's Google My Business listing, and they can put a review directly on their Google My Business listing, which is obviously good for SEO. It's good for, for the marketing of that company, et cetera, et cetera. That thing had just been gangbusters um like within a month almost a quarter of our customers had already implemented and so i th- my theory would be that one marketing drives a lot of the decisions right now at, at these msps um and so this provided a lot of value for them and and instantly it's incredibly easy to implement um so there wasn't anything technically that they had to do they didn't have to think through their you know their own internal survey design what were they trying to do with that how would they measure um, the results. So it was just instant. The impact was immediate. Um, and yeah, it was low investment. And so that, that's pretty interesting. And, and also even when we're selling, um, the product, that really, that's a really sexy feature. And so really thinking about how can we help our customers market their business going forward is something I think we need to put a lot more attention,
0: uh, toward. Yeah. It sounds like through the product, you're stacking the value that you're bringing through multiple functions. Interestingly, that particular review feature, for lack of a better word, was it something that customers had asked for or is it something that you were just doing anyway and it just turned out, ah this is actually really good. This solves a problem that we didn't know we had, you know, which which came first, I guess, the, the cart or the horse?
1: So, depending on which is the cart and which is the horse. Um, and that, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I would say our customers, some um, certainly had expressed an interest in it. And it was actually because one of our competitors, that was their key feature and they were selling it as, um, like the whole reason to buy their product. Um, and which I thought was, interesting just because it wasn't actually that hard to build. Um, and so it was actually more of a competitive a competitive move for us just to protect um, our product was we could replicate one of our competitors' key features uh, quite easily, and it would be a minor feature for us, um, which would then make it us quite a competitive offering vis a vis them both sales wise and for our, our existing base and and as as and so that was number one and then number two we had had a few customers um, who had seen the competition who had said hey is this something you guys would do we'd be very interested in it so we gave we we took a crack at it uh, but yeah three definitely it was the whichever the card and the horses came afterwards in terms of this uh, like mass adoption and so quickly
0: that's awesome, that's so good to hear. So I guess on the note of marketing, after speaking and uh, you know meeting Ryan a few times back in the day, I know he's a big advocate of performance marketing and it seems that's worked pretty well for you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what Smileback's marketing strategy, what it looked like in order to you know get to the level of growth you, you're at now, and I guess what the future looks like as well. Yeah, so I
1: think that's a really interesting question because Performance marketing actually hasn't worked very well for us, um, which has surprised me because it's the first time um, I've been involved with a business where that wasn't something that you could just do. Um, and I think there's a lot of hyperbole, let's say, in the space right now around, you know basically, you just give Google or Facebook money and then you get leads. Um, and I'm sure Google and Facebook love, love that. Um, but yeah, so our market, it appears so before even, even before I got here, even with when when Ryan was here, really the the bulk of our lead gen was organic, um, almost no activity. It was word of mouth referrals, and we really weren't doing much on the marketing side except for attending these uh, monstrous like conference of um, industry conference events. One of them is called IT Nation. Uh, that was really it, and that had i think what we found was it it hit a natural level of growth right there was a certain that could bring in only so much and as the company was small it brought in a lot but now it's kind of leveled off and so we have to be more sophisticated with our marketing we have to work harder um to get the incremental lead and so we have um done some performance marketing now we have established google Pay. as a as a channel and we're currently working on linkedin and bing however what we found with google paid was we really that's just not where our customers are that's not part of their buyers journey so much and so we had to find these kind of what we call alternative channels. And so these are influencers within the MSP community, spaces on Reddit or in this, um, there's a group called the Tech Tribe, these kind of dedicated forums where these folks talk about their business, talk to one another, um, talk about software products that they're using. And so it's a much more focused and incremental. There's no real scale, like massively scalable channel. We just have to cobble together um a few leads on each of these channels consistently and effectively and that's that's how we can grow the business and again yeah we're looking at right now growth is is, is as i said earlier incremental and i don't even expect it to ever get over any more like we've kind of matured and stabilized probably at like 10 10 to 20% max year over year
0: awesome what would you
1: say so it's hard
0: yeah as as it is unfortunately um yeah. What are your kind of like biggest object, uh, objectives with your marketing activity then? Because, um, you know, you don't expect to go beyond, as you put it, incremental growth. So I guess both in terms of what your kind of broad objectives are, for lack of a better term, the mission. And I guess for the marketing nerds among us, what those kind of KPIs are? You know, what are the surface level metrics and everything that goes beyond that? Yeah.
1: So from, I guess, from a marketing objective there's a mission, um, standpoint is we're really trying to, um, because now there's increased competition too, we were the the first to market with our product, whatever it was, four, four years ago, um, and now there's other players. So we're really trying to cement our brand position uh, in the marketplace and rebuild some of the brand equity and brand awareness that we've lost. And we're doing that largely through being more active on social channels, and doing uh, scare quotes, so LinkedIn, and in these spaces where our customers talk uh, through creating more content, more value-add content um, for customers, and we've seen some success on that, sort of providing some, I guess, for lack of a better word, thought leadership in this space. Um, and then our, and, and so that's the big part of the mission, and then the second piece um, is cultivating these channels and having a mature and sophisticated strategy on them so that we can qualify the number of leads and MQLs and conversions that we could expect from each channel so that we can better project our business so our number one Kind of KPI is leads um, from those channels. You know, second is MQLs. Um, and it's just really building the funnel of leads, MQL um, to subscriber or, or conversion. Because um, we're a um, subscription business, like a software as a service business, so we consider you know monthly or annual subscribers. And and that's the mandate for the team is is which channels should we be on, and how not so much like how can we maximize them, but how can we get predictable results off them that we can build a financial model and a business model. Um, and reliably predict the growth of our business
0: awesome and i always find when b2b folk talk about reddit as a community marketing channel for lack of a better word it always surprised me uh, because it makes me think of dog pics and dank memes so how how do you go about engaging in those communities and is it more of a kind of awareness player or do you find that there are actually viable opportunities within those communities
1: yeah Yeah, and that's a really good question um and i'm not an expert on that but i certainly think that there's not much in the way of viable opportunities within those communities um i think that there's opportunity um especially because reddit I think in the ways to their credit doesn't allow you really to sell. Um, so there's you know specific forums, or specific days or whatever where you can promote um, if it's relevant to your own product or service. And we do a little bit of that. Really, what we do on Reddit is just like mine insight um, about our market. You know, we're not that active in the sense of saying anything. We're just more active about being present. You know, contributing to a discussion if relevant, and that's like rarely, uh, but more just just passively listening. Um, and understanding the to get market insight, I guess you could call it or market intelligence. Um, so yeah, Reddit really isn't isn't a channel for acquisition. It's just a channel for understanding.
0: Yeah, kind of social listening, for lack of a better word. Yeah, yeah. And uh, another thing you said is you're slowly starting to invest in thought leadership. What does that look like and what are you talking about in the space at the moment? Yeah, so we're just
1: getting that piece off the ground. So, so far it's pretty much creating content that explains or supports those same value propositions that um, we articulated in the product strategy. So that the content and product are symmetrical. Um, So as, so for one, it's as we're releasing a feature that say like the one I spoke about earlier that helps with marketing efforts is that we create content both explaining that feature um and how it's useful and then on a higher level like why it's important why it's important to leverage um your reviews for marketing purposes how it can create a constant scale in your business how you know the importance of of credibility and testimonials and social proofing in the marketing world today and so trying to yeah to provide the thought leadership that prompted us or the thinking that prompted us to create the feature explaining that with the feature and so we've got those same three value propositions we have for the product that are the cornerstones of our content strategy and then so i'm doing some writing the team's doing some writing and then we're creating case studies so that our customers can see how some of our existing customers have achieved those same objectives that we designed the feature for in the real world and in an msp business
0: awesome have you started publishing those yet or is it early days you're kind of in the process
1: no we've got a i think we've so we started the end of august probably so i think we've got about six pieces out there um on our blog so to speak um uh, i think we're going to call it a content hub i never know what to call those things um we'll they all teams. work
0: one way or another <laughs> yeah i guess yeah
1: so the place where the content is uh, is uh is where we publish so yes we've got a few pieces we've got a couple case studies um i've wrote a piece of thought leadership uh around the importance of feedback given the current uh economic and just social climate and and then we've also we have you have some freelancers who have penned a couple pieces um on on some of the new features that we've released
0: awesome and what value have those pieces of content brought to the business so far
1: so far so we've been measuring the Kind of top level content analytics so far and because we didn't we didn't really have much of a baseline, all we can see is directionally uh, but they have we have seen month over month our numbers of uh, unique sessions on the blog, page views um, have gone up significantly. Uh, balance rates decrease significantly, And what's been most interesting to me is that time on site um, for each is quite long. So we usually see about four to six minutes a session, which suggests that the people actually read them. Um, So in terms of, you know, that would suggest that those few people who are consuming the content, but there are a few more than before, are invested and in, in, in it's working and so the next place now that we have in piece now that we have that in place is okay now how do we leverage that to something actually meaningful for the business so how do we get email addresses or use gated content in order to you know identify these people as leads or have them self- identify as leads engage them in the sales process etc cetera, etc cetera.
0: fantastic and you say that sessions have gone up where have those visitors come from? Do you have a deliberate distribution strategy or has it kind of happened organically on the back end of what you're already doing?
1: Yeah, so this is what surprised me when I look at the analytics is I, they seem to, for the most part, be organic. And so I don't know if it's a measurement issue or just an interesting quirk. Um, we Our distribution strategy though is largely focused on our e-newsletter, which we spun up shortly before we started creating the content, LinkedIn. Uh, we've been building a presence on LinkedIn and then through um, an influencer partner we have called Tubblog, uh, which is run by a former MSP owner, Richard Tubb. And we do see the analytics do kind of reflect the effort. So we get predominantly direct, organic or undefined. And then we see LinkedIn being the most fruitful channel followed by the e-news, followed by the Tubblog. But LinkedIn is maybe, you know, 10% of the traffic and then the other two are less than five each. Interesting.
0: Are are you seeing organic traffic go up slowly, but surely then? Yes. That's fascinating.
1: Yeah. But I can't really explain how they're getting there.
0: Yeah. It's it's, it's always (laughs) the way. Going back a couple of steps, you talked about your sales funnel, you know, from generating leads to qualifying them as MQLs and then putting them through the sales process. Could you give us like a top down overview of what that sales process looks like in terms of the touch points and i guess also the content you serve them throughout the sales process so separate from the acquisition side of things
1: yeah so we have a pretty lean sales process one of the pleasures i guess or luxuries of having great product market fit and a really useful product is that in a lot of ways it sells itself. Um, So we have two streams basically. We have some customers who get to the website, start a trial and just sign themselves up and there's no touch um, from, from the sales team whatsoever, which is, I mean, a beautiful and interesting thing. So we have a two week free trial so that they can get onboarded, start sending surveys, start getting data, start seeing the power of the product. And through that, we have a very specific and intentional automated onboarding and then the sales team will also try for those self-service customers to intervene uh, because we find the more touches we have with the customer in the trial period and especially then after in the first 90 days the more features that they adopt and implement and then the longer they stay on as a customer the more value they get the higher their lifetime value is Um, so we do try to intervene. Um, so that's one track and then most customers will come to the website and take one of two actions they'll either book a demo um so they directly book time with the sales team to do a demo and often influent right on the demo or they they start a trial and and then reach out to us following up on the first automated email they get at the sign up and then our sales team will kind of hold their hand through and, and act more less as a sales representative and more as a product coach Uh, through that process. And so often we'll have them do the demo, they'll like it, we'll implement and we'll immediately book the next call to talk through, you know, What are how much data are you getting? What are you seeing in the data? Um, Here are some tactics that you can use in order to drive more responses from your end users. You know, here's how you can use our support articles to to help help leverage the data. Again, um, here's how you can use some of our features in order to not only get data and analyze it, but as we talked about earlier, drive your growth and retention.
0: That's amazing. It, it almost sounds like part traditional sales process, part consultative selling in terms of making sure that new users, trial or otherwise, are getting as much value as possible. Yeah,
1: we, that's a good word for it. We very much try to push the consultative piece, uh, both in the sales cycle and then also um, with our customer team. One of the things that I changed was the approach from being customer support, fixing problems, to customer partnership, consultation, knowledge, ongoing um, ongoing partnership with, with the, uh, with the customers. The, I think smile back operationally is very much a well-oiled machine. I think our marketing channels, the the channels and lead gen is still has a way to go to be well, we'll be well-oiled when next time we talk, I can predictably tell you how many leads and how many conversions we'll get per channel.
0: Amazing. Okay. I'll follow up with you in six months and see how we're doing. We could do a part two. Yes. So I've got got two more questions. The first one is, what does the future look like for Smileback in terms of, you know, what you're building? um, And where can listeners learn more about you?
1: Yeah, so on the first one, we're right now we're actually from a building perspective because we I like this kind of rhythm of release a bunch of features, incur some technical debt reassess your technical architecture, You know, improve performance, efficiency of your systems, release more features, do it again. Um, so right now we're in a down cycle in terms of improving uh, the efficiency of the systems, upgrading the technical architecture to support um, all of the new things that we've built and the new customers that we've taken on. And so in 2021, we'll be launching some operational enhancements for our customers, so native integrations with Microsoft Teams, which a lot of our customers use, and Slack, um, which less of our customers use, but still use, so that they can take action on, they can see the feedback and take action on it right away without having to even go to our app or without having to leave the workspace that they're in. Um, So that's one. And then second is we're working, and this would be, a really big release for us is moving to being able to not only collect the feedback, analyze the feedback, but take it to a level of predicting um, outcomes. So we've prototyped a lot of this in our own processes because we we use a small back tool ourselves. Um, And so what we wanna be able to do is build dashboards for customers that start to identify customers that are one, um, opportunities for growth, Right, so that they can leverage the great work that they're doing in order to promote their business, but even more importantly, start to identify customers that might be a risk uh, to their business, a risk of leaving, based on um, their responses, based on their scores, based on their testimonials, and so to not only provide our customers the data, but actually tell our customers what to do with it.
0: I like that. I like that. So actually providing not just data but insights, as it. Was. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And prescriptive actions from those insights.
0: That's really good to hear. Um, And so finally, I think serendipity has been a bit of a theme throughout this conversation, which reminded me when I when I first met you, Ryan was the CEO of Smileback. Could you quickly tell us how uh, you joined Smileback in the first place?
1: Uh, Yeah, so I. (laughs) Uh, oh and i have to tell you where people can find um that was the second part of the last question so yeah just go to www.smileback.com or anyone could just email me directly at andrew at smileback.com i'm happy to to talk to anybody and answer an email but yeah it was very much serendipity that uh so i live in berlin but i'm from uh, Toronto, Canada. And uh, Ryan is also from Toronto. And I was, my last business was bought by, it wasn't my business, but I was uh, the head of product for Chef's Plate, which was in the meal kit delivery uh, space. It was the first to market in Canada and then was bought by HelloFresh, which is based in Berlin and is the market leader um, worldwide. And I was here to transition my team and our technology uh, to the corporate overlords. Um, And yeah, it was uh, by chance that I had a friend uh, who was actually my boss when I was a journalist who then worked at HelloFresh and their content team, totally random. And he was living in Berlin, so we went out for beers. Uh, Ryan showed up and spent the whole night complaining about how there's no good product people in Berlin. Uh, He needed a product person. Um, And Matthew, our mutual friend, was just smiling the whole time um, because Ryan was just going off. And finally, he said, well, you know, you're sitting beside one right now and so um ryan immediately started hugging me and praising me and uh (laughs) asking me to solve his problems and so i uh yes while i was in the city i just chatted with him a lot about problems the company was having and how to solve them and then we just stayed in touch for a couple weeks and i offered um some some more advice and i wrote a job description for him and then he called me one night and said i sure this is not something you would want to do but you know you've talked to the team talked to the other owners um and i just don't see why you don't do this job since you've created it and you know it inside and out uh if you wanted to move to germany um it's the jobs here waiting for you and i was like "Fuck it yeah i'll do it and (laughs) i moved here 13 days later
0: amazing amazing it's hard to say no to ryan sometimes as well it's very
1: very hard to say no to ryan (laughs) it's a problem (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh man, yeah, I've I've had a, a few too many beers because of his bad influence.
1: Oh man, it's amazing, it's amazing. I don't know how he does it, but you just you just always want to go along with it.
0: <laughs> the Canadian charm, I guess. <laughs> yeah. What a great what a great place to wrap things up. Is there anything else? Um, I guess you wanted to ask me before we we jumped off.
1: No, it's great, man. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I enjoyed
0: uh, I enjoyed the chat. Yeah, me too. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. Before you dash, just a quick note to share a free ebook we just published called the Content Operations Playbook. If you're interested in content marketing and SEO, then this ebook is for you. We lift the hood up on our own editorial and content production processes from hiring writers, creating solid content briefs, polishing content to be the best it can be. And of course, distributing it to actually generate traffic. It's totally free and you can download it over at grizzle.io forward slash content That's www.grizzle.io forward slash And hey, if you enjoy this podcast, feel free to subscribe. We've got a lot of great conversations lined up with experts in the world of business, marketing, and entrepreneurship coming up. Thanks again.